You can put okay, more money right. in your IRA and 401k in 2024. Mm-hmm. The contribution okay. limits are going up. There's syndicators out there that get this. They want to go after IRA money, and they realize people are a little nervous about UDFI. So they will build syndications or a portion of the syndication that's not subject to the debt. They know how to carve that out. There's different ways, and they might go after different types of asset classes too. Welcome everyone to the Directed IRA Podcast with Matt Sorensen and Mark Kohler. Today we are bringing good news from the IRS. Good news. Are you interested? Yeah. (laughs) It's not often you get good news. Yeah, I want to hear it. Okay. All right. They're they're shutting down and giving us all of our money back. (laughs) Oh, don't be greedy. (laughs) Don't be greedy. (laughs) I got something, though. I got something. You can put more money in your IRA and 401k in 2024. Mm -hmm. The contribution limits are going up from $6,500 a year to $7,000 a year for IRAs. And from 66000 a year total in your 401k, that includes your solo K, up to $69,000 in your solo 401k. So contribution limits are going up. That means we can put more money in, more tax advantage dollars, more Roth dollars, more tax-free stuff to self-direct and invest in the stuff we know. It's kind of cool. I wanted to share that at the, at the outset here because this was just announced from the IRS a couple of days ago. And if you're new to our podcast and haven't heard our rhetoric over and over again, I will briefly state this. First, remember, a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k is only a vehicle. What you put in the back seat or the trunk or the front seat with you is up to you. So many people think a 401k equates to stock, bonds, and mutual funds. It's whatever you want. You may have junk in the trunk. Let's get it out and put in some good stuff. Plus, you get to drive the car if you want to, or you can let an advisor drive the car for you. So that's the beauty of these limits is because so many people come to us as well and go, this is number two. People say, I want to save taxes. I'm like, why don't you just have tax-free income anyway? Done. Then I don't even have to worry about it. Well, how do I do that? You start making your contributions every year and investing. And then magically, it's there. Yeah. There's only so much you can get in every year. And those who do the best max it out every year. I'm telling you, the clients with the largest accounts max out their contributions every year. And a lot of people, I was just speaking even yesterday in Scottsdale here in town. And people are like, some people come up to me and they're like, how do these people have million dollar retirement accounts? How, how did, how did that happen? You can only put 6,500 bucks in an IRA, only a certain amount in your 401k every year. They got started. <laughs> they started, everybody starts at zero. So the more money you can put in, that's the more money you get to play. It took me three years of investing sorry, three years of contributing before I could make my first self-directed investment. I had to max out my 401k contributions for three years to get enough money to go do a real estate deal in my retirement account. So if you're sitting there like, I have no money in my retirement account, how am I going to get there? It's these annual contributions we're talking about where you get to put more money in and it takes discipline, max it out. It might take you a few years to make your first investment. I love it. Last point. And then we're jumping into Q&A, folks. This is the open forum show. We're going to answer your questions submitted at directedira.com under the learn section podcast, please get over there and submit a question for future open forums. We also have a bunch of questions on the retirement in the retirement plan section of the main street business podcast. So we're going to pull some of those and bring them over. Um, But the second thing I want to say, it's really kind of a, it's a two or three part process. You want to do your contributions every year. And then number two, you want to invest wisely. 
And for some of you, that could be a little more hands-off. It could be a diversified portfolio with Wall Street products or, and or self-directed. It could be different types of self-directed products. But the goal is, is as you're contributing every year and you get the highest rate of return, that money will start doubling. I was just doing the math here. I love the rule of 72, and I've got a calculator right here. Mm-hmm. If I take 72 divided by a 15% rate of return, my money will double every 4.8 years. So if I have a hundred grand from an old 401k and an IRA, and I start investing and can do 15%, that hundred grand doubles and then doubles again. And then with let's do a third double, I'm at like two, four, eight. I'm at 800 grand in that time frame. And it, it's pretty crazy. So the better rate of return, the faster it doubles and grows. And that's how people do it. Yeah, I love the rule 72. Um, okay, well, let's dig into your questions. Again, you can submit these at directedira.com slash podcast. If you have questions, you want to throw them in, you're like, oh, why don't you guys ever talk about this? You never asked. <laughs> Go put in the question already. All right, get over there. Okay, so we got a question here. I'm going to start. This is Subak from Washington says, hey, Matt and Mark, I work at a pre-IPO company and have been awarded ISO stock options, which I can exercise, they're vested, at a predetermined strike price. Can I exercise these stock shop options in my self-directed Roth IRA? Basically, I pay the strike price from my self-directed Roth IRA. Can I sell these tax-free when the company goes public? Since these are options and not an RSU grant, which is part of compensation, hence I was wondering if, I can, if the exercise can be done through the self-directed Roth IRA. Ah, I've got bad news for you, Subak. No, you cannot. Um, the stock options are granted to you because of your work. So a stock option pool is usually given to key employees, officers or directors, and they're given for your service and your work. But you still have to buy them, but it's at a very favorable price. There's some tax benefits to doing it personally where you get capital gains and all that on it, which is great. But you cannot buy it with the Roth because you've essentially earn that favorable value because of your personal work. Now, if the company was like, hey, we're out raising capital, we're doing our seed round of investing or our series A or whatever round of investing they're doing to raise capital, and they're selling shares to the public or to other institutional investors, your your Roth IRA could go in and buy shares, but it can't buy your stock options, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yep. Sorry. Sad news. It's But you got stock options. That's good. Glasses half full. <laughs> yeah, but you Way have to bring them back that. up. You brought them yeah. back up, Mark. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like boot camp. Matt's going to tear you down. I'll be build you up. Maybe on the next question, I'll tear you down, and Matt builds you up. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump over to question uh, from learn uh, from learning taxes. That's their handle. Love that. And this is over on the Main Street Business Podcast. If you haven't been over to our sister podcast, please get there. We talk about more than just self directing, obviously building wealth, saving taxes, asset protection. Uh, It's more of kind of a Main Street business, well-rounded conversation with so many different topics. Um, So learning taxes, it's kind of a longer paragraph. So I'm going to truncate their question to to help us all get up uh, to the point as quick as possible. So they said, my questions are around the distribution side of a self-directed IRA. We have three two traditional and one Roth IRA that are all partnered in a checkbook LLC. Seems as though many podcasters cover great detail about how to get into the self-directed IRA checkbook LLC space and navigate around, but not much on getting out. 
so now they go, now the, it gets a little more uh, in-depth. So I'm just going to summarize. They, they've got these three IRAs. They owns a single-family home. It's cash flowing okay, but they know in the future it's going to cash flow more. And then they pose two questions that are really very different. They say, the first one was, we might want to use this rental property in the future. Like, we'd like this rental property to be our retirement home. How would we get that home to us? And, and, and that's, that's a great question. So in a sense, how am I getting that home out of the IRA? And, it, and that can seem a little daunting, right? Then their second question was, well, how do we get money out of the LLC income? Uh, so those are two different issues because you may say that we're going to keep this as a rental property and create income and we want to get that money out. And that's a different strategy than saying, I just want to distribute it and I want to live in it. So maybe, Matt, I'll take the first part if you want to take okay. the cash part. Um, okay, so I love this retirement second home strategy. And let me give you the kind of the basic answer and then put it on steroids. The basic answer is when you turn 59 and a half, that's everybody, I'm, these three IRAs, you say we have them. So I don't know if that's husband, wife or whatever, but if all the parties that are the beneficiaries of these IRAs are 59 and a half, once you're there, there's no penalty. So you'd say, we want to take that house and go live in it. So you would do an appraisal and let's say the house is worth 300 grand. Um, and you say, okay, it's worth 300 grand. And there's three IRAs, and let's just assume they're 33, 33, 33. So that means each IRA has a $100,000 interest in the property. You would do an appraisal, and then you'd go to the custodian, directed IRA, and go, I want an in-kind distribution. I don't, I don't want the cash. I want you to just give me the house. And so they would do the paperwork as if you had sold the house and took the hundred grand, but we're going to transfer the house to the owners or the beneficiaries of those IRAs, and they're going to get a 1099R, and they're going to pay tax as if they had received the cash, although it actually is a deed to a house. Then they can move in. Now, let's go steroids. Remember this fact pattern? One of those was a Roth IRA. <laughs> so the whoever's got the Roth IRA, when they distribute that house to you at 59 and a half, there's no tax. This is a Roth IRA. So the, the steroid strategy here, for some of you that are working out in the gym, you might appreciate this, is you want to take those two other IRAs that are traditional, get an appraisal right now at the lowest and best use. And with higher interest rates right now, you might get a lower appraisal right now because homes aren't moving as fast with these higher interest rates. So get a lower appraisal as low as you can and go to the custodian and go, hey, I'm going to be 59 and a half in five years. I want to convert that to a Roth right now. I'll pay the tax now at this lower value of the home. And then when I turn 59 and a half, you can just give me the home. So you're really freezing the value now rather than waiting till you're 59 and a half to pay the tax on whatever the value is then. And you could chunk it in stages. It's going to be a, a little more work, legal work, transferring the, uh, you know, doing the Roth conversion along the way. And you're going to have to do some Roth IRA conversions and separate the ownership in the LLC a little, but very doable if you want to do it in stages. But that would be taken at next level so that when you retire, you take the home. Matt, would you add, was that, did I explain that properly? Would you add yeah, that? the one thing I'd say is when you do that in-kind distribution, 
we can just distribute the LLC interest from your IRAs mm. to you personally. The LLC can still own the property. We don't need to distribute the property. So now okay. at the end of the day, you each, and this, I don't know if this is your Roth, your traditional, your spouse's traditional, I don't know the combination of three accounts, but, um, but at the end of the day, the IRA accounts turn into the individuals that own the LLC. LLC will still own the property. LLC still has the same bank account. We distribute the LLC assets. And so that would allow you to then have personal use of it if you wanted. Also still keep it as a rental as we've talked about and get cash flow. Now that's taxable to you as you're receiving that. But now you can take depreciation to offset that income. Now you're going to own it personally. So um, I've honestly talked to a lot of clients over the years about this. And every client, not every client, many clients that have gone through it, even with Roths, have been like, I'm just going to buy something else to use personally. <laughs> Whenever there's like, I want to have a little bit of personal use. It's like, if this is a great rental that creates great cash flow, let's just leave it as that. And let's just pull that cash flow out of, take distributions from your retirement account to go live in this place for a week or two here or there and have some second home or some place where you're at. But, um, but if you know you definitely want to do this, that's the step like Mark said, in-kind distribution, get an appraisal. You can still keep the LLC though um, and the bank account. Then you can have some personal use. Okay. Now, if they just want cash, a little easier answer. That was the second part. Great question for all of you listeners. I have an IRA LLC. It owns a rental property. I want to start living on the cash. Let's hope you're 59 and a half. Then what Mm -hmm. you're going to do is you're going to send money from the LLC back to the IRAs. And if these are three IRAs, each owning one third, you got 10 grand, you're going to send 3,333 bucks to each IRA. And then you take the distributions from the IRA. Now, the tricky thing when it's multi-member like this is you can't just send money to one IRA. You'd be like, well, the other two, we're not going to, you know, we don't want to take money out. That person's not 59 and a half yet. Nah, you can't yeah. do that. When you're in a multi-member like this, where it's your account, your spouse's account, you know, I don't know who's involved here, but you have to send money from the LLC to each IRA based on the percentage of ownership. And then you take your distributions from your IRAs. Yeah. But I will add this. You Let's say it's the 10 grand. And one of those IRAs is not 59 and a half. Mm-hmm. You can still take the $10,000 distribution, yep. send 3333, 3333, send it out to the three IRAs. But the person that's 59 and a half, the step two would take a distribution because there's no penalty. The other person may say, well, I'll go invest that money somewhere else. Yeah. And that allows yeah. the it other still partner to take It still stays in the account. IRA as cash. Yeah. So it's out of the LLC, but it's not distributed yet because they're 59 and a half. Great point. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a question? I got so many here. Yeah, I uh, do. I got a question from Jevin from Ohio. Says, I recently created an LLC 100% owned by my traditional IRA. I have real estate syndications I'll be investing in. I assume the syndications are using debt to purchase real estate, usually the case. Mm-hmm. Net income will be subject to UDFI. Since the LLC is passed through entity, I assume that income will pass to my self-directed IRA and my self-directed IRA will be responsible each year for paying the UDFI tax. Correct? You're correct. Javon, you're on it, man. I love it. You're even saying it right, by the way. Yeah. It says, I realize that hopefully there won't be net income in the years, early years, as there's to be depreciation that'll help shield cash flow from UDFI. And then investing in a new syndication will help offset cash flow from seasoned syndications and capital gains where another syndication sell. You're on the right track if there as well. If in your IRA, yeah. if that's all in the IRA, it's not yeah. personal. Exactly. You're all in your IRA yeah. there. And you're, you're right. A lot of syndications, they're they're trying to, to zero out net income on the K-1 or have a loss. And so even though the property may be cash flowing, a lot of syndications, they're doing a cost segregation, or, you know, other strategies are trying to accelerate depreciation, which creates more 
tax losses, which if you're getting a K-1, even if the property's leveraged and you're cash flowing, but the K-1 says has a negative on it or a loss, there's no UDFI to calculate. You don't need to worry about it. And I says, however, I'm trying to understand the logistics of UDFI for syndications owned by my IRLLC. And he says, I've gotten all this guidance through the point of your guidance and podcast. Thank you. Um, well, you're on it. I'll just say that. You got it all right. You're thinking about it the right way. You'll have UDFI. It passes down to your IRA. If the syndication has debt, your IRA gets a K-1. Even if it's at the LLC level, it's effectively going to your IRA. If there's a negative on the K-1, which I see a lot, and I've looked at a lot of many of these over the years with clients, they're like, do I need to have UDFI? I said, send me the K-1. There's a negative on it. Cool. You don't have it. But where I do yep. see it is when the client, when the property sells and there's a yep. gain and there's still debt on the property. And we see that, but it's not a significant tax because it's only a tax on the percentage of debt at the time of sale. And it's only at long-term capital gains rate of 20%. And so it's less than you would pay personally. Um, so it's not the end of the world if you do get hit with it on the way out at sale. Yeah. Now I'm going to add two uh, strategies that could mitigate this whole situation. Um, number one, there's syndicators out there that get this. They want to go after IRA money and they realize people are a little nervous about UDFI. So they will build syndications or a portion of the syndication that's not subject to the debt. They know how to carve that out. There's different ways and they might go after different types of yeah. asset classes too. A so Great point. And I'll give so, a couple examples. Just we've even had on the podcast here or at Self-Directed IRA Summit or Alt Asset Summit, like Caliber, who is at our Self-Directed IRA Summit. They use a REIT. If you think of even Grant Cardone, Cardone Capital, he has a REIT. Neighborhood Ventures, they've been on our webinar. They've been our stuff. They have a REIT. These private REITs are exempt. If you have REIT tax status, they're exempt from UDFI for IRAs. So a lot more people are starting to use those for some tax benefits that their investors get. Um, so if you are in one of those companies that have a REIT structure, and we even have some that are like REIT feeders that feed through if you are an IRA, um, and they kind of put their qualified plans, pension plans, 401ks, IRAs that are investing um, through these kind of REIT blockers. So um, you can look for those strategies as well in syndications. Yeah, I would bring it up. If you're already in a syndication, it's over. But as you do other syndications, have that conversation with the company promoting it. Number two strategy if you're already in a syndication that has some UDFI and you're in a traditional IRA, let's say, open a solo 401k under your side hustle, roll that IRA into your solo 401k. The syndication ownership doesn't change. It's clean. And now, I mean, you're going to have to let the syndication know that you're now a 401k, but that's easy paperwork. Yeah. But the point is now 401ks are not subject to UDFI. So you wouldn't even have to worry about this at all. So for but now if you're already in a Roth IRA position doing this syndication, there's no way you can't roll it into a 401k. But if you're traditional, that's a way to hedge against it as well. Yep. Love it. All right. Okay. Well, here's a okay. This is Cleon, and we've got some sub comments on it that people were kind of like wanting to know this. Are there consequences if I have a balance in my pre-tax 401k account? When I roll over my after-tax contributions to Roth, I'm getting conflicting information that suggests this would be treated the same as a Roth IRA conversion. For example, I'd have to include some of the pre-tax contributions in the conversion based on the pro rata balances at the time of the conversion. This would mean some of the conversion would be required as uh, recognized as taxable income. Well, Cleon, I don't know where you're getting conflicting information. <laughs> yeah. 
Converting money to Roth in a 401k is exactly the same damn thing as converting a traditional IRA to Roth. So you will pay tax on the taxable portion of that conversion. Now, if everything in your, now it's true, you've got to look at the 401k account. Are there after-tax contributions that you didn't get a deduction for? per se, that, that could be in the mix. But typically, most pre-tax 401k accounts that are traditional, that's what we call it, traditional, a traditional 401k, you got a deduction or withheld from your paycheck to put the money in. You got growth in there. You got an employer contribution that you weren't taxed on. Pretty much the whatever you convert to Roth will be taxable in that conversion inside the 401k. And you personally will pay the tax on that, not the 401k, not the Roth. Now, it's still a great thing to do. I just talked about it. Start converting to Roth. Absolutely. But I, I it's pretty straightforward. Uh, Matt, would I say Well, that? well I, I think it's questions about like the pro rata rules. So when you have like, like for example, if you're doing the mega backdoor Roth or something like that, this is where this comes up. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you have after-tax contributions, there is no tax to convert that. After-tax contributions, you didn't take a deduction. And you can roll those out. There was an IRS advisory opinion on this that went over. Do you need to do pro rata? Do we need to consider the pre-tax? What are the rules on this? Um, and But you can roll out the after-tax contributions to a Roth IRA on their own. You don't have to do anything with the pre-tax dollars in the 401k if you don't want to. But if you do want to convert the pre-tax dollars, like Mark said, you will have a Roth conversion. You will get a 1099 and you can do both. But um, this is a very complicated subject. Let me just say that um, you want to make sure you're working with someone who understands this. The mega backdoor Roth 401k is full of landmines and you can do this and you can't do that. Do you own the plan? Do you not? Are you a highly compensated employee or are you not? It is the nastiest. This is like a black belt in tax loopholes of how you tie the knot on this one. You know what I mean? Like you, you get like the, the, the not tying merit badge when you figure this one out. So um so just make sure you're being careful on that. And I can see that's why there are some questions on this, but there is, I wish I had it here. There is an IRS opinion on this, um, that the, the outcome of it was essentially, yes, you can roll out the after-tax contributions on their own to a Roth IRA, not taxable. And your pre-tax dollars that are in the 401k that you don't want to convert can just stay there. That's kind of the gist of it. I love it. And, I, and I'm going to say this for everybody that your head's swimming a little bit. Holy crap. I didn't even know this was a question to ask. <laughs> Let me just say, I could confidently say this is a one in a hundred, maybe a one in 500 situation. Not everybody is trying to do a mega backdoor Roth 401k and, and making after non-deductible after-tax contributions to 401ks. It's pretty rare. I think it's safe for most people to just assume if I've never done a backdoor you know, mega back this or made after tax contributions, anything you convert in your 401k is going to be subject to conversion yeah. and, and a tax. So, and that's going to be 99 out of 100 people. Yeah. But Cleon, again, you might be this one person that's dealing with the pro rata thing. Yeah, yeah, great point. And the backdoor Roth IRA is very more, much more common, far, far more common and actually much easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. All right. All right. Um, let me get over to Mike's question from Pennsylvania. He asked, I used to work for a PE fund and now for an outsourced fund administrator that does work for my former employer. Can I invest my self-directed IRA into the LP and or GP of my former employer, even if I do work for them with my new firm? Mm, that's a good question, Mike. 
So this kit, this is we're getting some honors level questions today. Yeah, right? These no. aren't just Woo. like, can I buy real estate with my IRA? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I rent it to my kid? You know, geez, give us some easy ones, man. Um, all right, Mike. Yes, but that's my answer. <laughs> yes, but yes, your IRA could invest, and the LP is easy. I'm okay with your IRA investing in the LP. You are working for an outsourced fund that provides services to your former employer, which I presume is the GP here. Even though there's a, there is some connection there, as long as your compensation doesn't change because your IRA invests and it's just like, hey, I want to invest my IRA and this is an LP with 100 other people that are invested in this thing, I don't see much risk there. Now, if you end up being like the president or like you have this this the most control position of the fund within the GP, I would have a uh, – we might have a little conversation and you'd need a consult on that. There's some carve out and stuff that I've done in the years, passed as a lawyer for that. But um, I don't see any issues in the LP. In the GP, which is basically who's running the fund, the GP for everyone else, you know, that's who's running the fund, the general partner or sometimes just the management entity. Yes, you could invest in the GP, but one, and this is another thing is, is, is the GP being formed based on capital being raised? Like, or is it just your Roth IRA is the only one that's, and it goes in for 500 bucks. I don't want to see that. We sometimes get that. They just want to get their IRA and the GP entity, but not pay any money for it. Um, so the, the Roth IRA has got to invest into something. The GP needs to be raising capital and needing money to operate. And so if you are investing into the GP, that's possible. We want There's some other issues there. I, what I'd say is you need to get a consult with one of the tax lawyers at our firm, KKOS Lawyers. Get over to kkoslawyers.com. You can get with one of our tax lawyers it's, that would have done this stuff like Jerem or Kevin or um, Max or that's a, uh, even Ashley here in Phoenix. They've, they've had to deal with some of these questions before and work with clients in the same situation. Love it. Uh, all right. We got RJ Growth 48. I don't know what the 48 stands for. We're just going to leave it at that. Uh, thank you so much. Just uh, this is for your show and all. He goes. Are any of the expenses associated with searching for investments, like the travel expense to a real estate investment summit, able to be paid by the IRA LLC without creating a prohibited transaction? Oh, RJ, if only we could wish it so. <laughs> um, <laughs> you could do it, but then your IRA would be completely distributed with penalties. Uh, yeah. Yeah, in your personal investing portfolio, whether you have a LLC on a Schedule E or an S corporation, holy crap, we want to write off travel every way till Sunday when you're traveling for business and real estate investment summits and shopping for real estate is not typically a write off. You got to be attending something, meeting with someone, making a legitimate offer. But for your IRA LLC to ever pay those expenses on your behalf would be prohibited. I'm sorry, they have to be paying third parties for legitimate direct expenses for the property, management, uh, closings, la, la, la. So no benefit to you. Sorry, RJ. Yeah, and the hard thing with it too is, and you can't expense it anywhere else either, right? Because if this was you personally looking for properties, then you and you end up buying those properties, there's somewhere to expense that um, on your personal return on that property. But with your IRA, there's just, just – nowhere to expense it and you need to bear the cost personally. Cause other people are like, well then if I can't expense it personally, why can't my retirement account pay for it? You know, and it's just the IRS has kind of got you either way. Um, so you just have to bear those costs personally. There's kind of, there's even like a, 
old opinion letter of someone that wanted to like use their IRA to pay for the Wall Street Journal subscription and access to certain research publications. And they're like, no, that's personal educational stuff. <laughs> you can't, uh, the retirement account cannot bear those costs. Yeah, you just got to bear that personally. Even though what we get it, there is a connection. Yep. All uh, right. Okay. I think we've hit all of the newer ones since the last okay. open forum. There was one about the backdoor Roth IRA. Um, so let me hit that as the final one here. Um, unless you got, you want to do one more, Mark? Yeah, I'll throw out one more. Okay. We got so many over on Main Street, but we are coming up on our time. So this is good. All right, you go first. Okay, this is from Retire Ready. It says, if you do not make enough money to open a backdoor Roth, what options do you have other than opening a personal Roth or work Roth? I would like to roll my 401k to a Roth, but I don't make enough money to do a backdoor. I love your show. Thank you for your help. Ooh, okay. Let us help there's fix some misunderstandings here. Yeah, yeah there's, I, <laughs> so, there's something wrong. And the good news is, is it's easier than you think. You're overthinking it. Okay. The backdoor Roth is only what you do when you have to and have no other options and you're phased out because you make too much money, you're high income. But it only applies to annual contributions and how much I can put in and contribute to a Roth IRA every year. The 6,500 bucks for 2023 going up to 7,000, like we mentioned earlier for 2024. So what can I put in each year into my Roth IRA? If I'm over the income limits, which is like a hundred grand plus, if I'm over the income limits, then I have to do backdoor. But that's only for your annual contributions. If you want to roll your 401k that's traditional dollars to a Roth, you can convert that. You don't need to do a backdoor. It's just a Roth conversion. There's no income restriction on converting existing 401k or, or IRA dollars over to Roth IRA or Roth 401k dollars. There actually used to be an income cap on this about 10 years ago. Congress changed it because they wanted to let people convert from traditional to Roth. Why would they let you do that? Because they tax it. They get to raise revenue today rather than waiting 20, 30 years when you retire. And that Congress isn't in session anymore and they can't spend your money. So they want to let you convert now if you're willing to pay the tax. So you're able to convert that retire-ready um, uh, just that 401k can be converted to Roth. Don't worry about backdoor or anything. Now, remember, you will get a 1099R. If that's a $200,000 traditional 401k, you're converting to a 200000 Roth IRA or Roth 401k. You will get a 1099R for two hundred grand. But the cool thing is if that $200,000 account turns into a million-dollar account in the next 10 years and you're pulling that out, you avoided paying tax on the 800000 of growth there because that whole million is coming out tax-free. Love it. Okay. All right. Well, I've got a great question here, and it's one of my favorite topics, and that's the health savings account. So uh, the health, why this relates to the Directed IRA podcast, uh, if some of you didn't know, is that you can self-direct an HSA. So this is, to me, kind of a supercharged Roth IRA for medical purposes. They're, they're just incredible. One of the best-kept secrets and so I can be contributing to a 401k at work, have a solo 401k, contribute to my Roth, do a backdoor Roth if I need to, do Roth conversions, and even do an HSA. People, this is where you're like multifaceted. You're like a ninja taking advantage of all these strategies. And when you can do that, and not everybody's going to be able to do all five or six of those things I just listed every year, but the more you can do every year, oh my gosh, it just snowballs and catapults your wealth like you wouldn't believe. 
So the health savings account is an important one to keep on the table, especially when you're self-directed. So uh, Dizzy411 uh, says the alternative, uh, the alternative asset, sorry, at the all asset summit, you mentioned having a personal and work HSA. So having a save health savings account at work and having one individually. The yearly limit is per income source. <laughs> Just hoping. <laughs> Just want the clarification of how it works. I know there's an annual contribution limit. For you to mention having two HSA suggests the annual limit applies for the job and the self-employment income, hence doubling down on the contribution. Oh, is that what it suggests, Dizzy? <laughs> That's what Dizzy's wanting it to. Uh, uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, so, um, yes, here's what it suggests. It, so let me answer this. No, you cannot double down. You get one contribution limit. This year, 2023, it's $3,850 $3, if you're single, $7,750 if you're married or head of household. So $7,750. So let's say seven grand, just round down for a minute. You could have seven HSAs. But you could only put one thousand in each HSA because that's your annual contribution over all your HSAs. So Disney's going to go. Well, why in the heck did you even bring this up then? If it's, it's not to get more money in, is Dizzy Dizzy the reason why? Is because your work HSA is locked down in some stupid fund, probably where you have very no control over how it's invested. And it would hopefully be earning you 2 to 3% if you're lucky because they built the HSA at work for you to come get your money whenever you have a receipt for medical bills. They, they're they not investing your HSA for you. They're just being nice, created the HSA, which is good. And you, they're going to put money in for you a little bit. And you can put more money in if you want. But they're kind of, it's like a supercharged flexible spending account. If there's anything left, you get to take it with you. So it's not use it or lose it. But they're really not investing it for you. Why we brought it up at the All Asset Summit is because if I can have a separate HSA and fund whatever my employer, let's say my employer puts in 500 bucks, I'm going to go put the rest of my contribution limit in my own HSA because I can control how that's invested. Mm -hmm. Now I can go out and do some bigger and better things and combine it in LLCs with my Roths and my IRAs and 401ks and really put that HSA on steroids where the work one it's work. Take the five hundred bucks for your employer. Enjoy it. Turn in your receipts, or it'll kick out to you when you're when you leave. So. Yeah, and I'll just add too on that HSA. If you have one at work, you can always roll it over. You can always transfer it, even if it's a work HSA. HSAs are always portable. You can move it to a self directed HSA. So even that five hundred bucks, you don't have to just let that linger. Do you have to let it linger? <laughs> Cranberries. That's good. Yeah, Ninety yeah, yeah, Um you don't have to let it linger back there doing nothing just because what they mostly are at your work or an employer HSA is a savings account. And it's just sitting there like a savings account. It's not yeah. being invested, even though you could, and you can self-direct it. Like we allow you to do it directed already. So you could move the whole thing. And like Mark said, contribute the rest into a self-directed HSA. I mean, Mark's HSA is my HSA is bought crypto. Mark's is owns a rental property and bought cows and stuff. I mean, you don't have to just have it sitting in savings, making nothing. Yeah, yeah. Dizzy has a follow-up question. I didn't see this until now. Said, um, if I have two HSAs, does that mean I have to have two health insurance policies to coordinate benefits? No, you do not. 
anybody, once you have a high deductible plan, everybody, and this is a, a, a very timely topic as well, because open enrollment started two days ago. Uh, mm. So November 1st until January 15th, all of you out there that are, are have the flexibility to choose your own health plan for 2024, be looking at a high deductible plan. If you're like, well, I don't even really use my insurance, go with a higher deductible. Throw the money in the HSA. If you need the money, it's there. You save it on the premiums. You're hoping to try to just game the system a little bit more. Anything you can do to game it against the insurance companies, the better. But all you need is one health insurance policy to op- unlock as many HSAs as you want. Because the HSA policy is not held by the insurance company. That's a whole other mechanism. Yeah. So just get the insurance, then you can open H- HSAs anywhere you want. Yeah, we love we do love the HSA. I use the HSA. Mark uses it. We have lots of accounts here at Directed that are using it. But I want to say this too. Just and this might be my last point on this HSA. A lot of people just use an HSA for medical. They're not trying to invest it. They simply have a lot of medical bills that they don't get a deduction and write off for. So all they're using it for is to freaking launder money and get a tax deduction. They're putting the money in and getting a tax tax deduction, and they're spending the whole thing right back out. They're like. I'm, I, I have over seven grand in medical bills in my family alone. By the time I got orthodontist, dentist, my medical spouse, psh, we don't have anything left to save, but I want to get a tax deduction for it. And that's cool. That's when the work H- HSA can, can work very well. It's a savings account. You're using it to basically pay medical. It's coming all right back out. But if you're someone that's like, no, I have really low medical. I don't need to rely on that health savings account. I can – I want to invest this and grow it. So I have medical and long-term care and and you can even buy Medicare um, part D or what's the one you have to buy with, with an HSA. Like these are the things you can use an HSA for in the future and build up that can be used later on in retirement. So that's where you may want to invest and be building for the future. And that's what we can help a directed IRA for. Uh Okay, Matt. And if I could, this will wrap up our most recent question. So we've got a good bundle of them finished Uh, real fast. Yeah. Uh, What, what a girl 3345 says, after creating an LLC using my Roth and HSA, so cool. It was a great follow-up question. After creating an LLC owned by my Roth and HSA, will the subsequent monthly or annual deposits to the Roth and HSA be available for the LLC to use? Or is the LLC funded by whatever amount is available at the point you create the LLC and anything after that you put in a Roth and HSA will just have to go to another investment? The answer is uh, maybe on both points. <laughs> <laughs> it, oh my gosh! It depends. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. So <laughs> go ahead, Matt. You yeah, I think it. let's let's just go over an example to illustrate it. Let's say that you did a Roth IRA and HSA, and let's say you did sixty five hundred bucks from a from a Roth IRA into an LLC, and you did let's say sixty five hundred bucks from an HSA into the LLC. Just so I can keep okay. it simple. Fifty fifty. Lots. Fifty fifty. And you're like, next year, I want to do the same. Cool. You can do the same next year. You put 6500 bucks in each. We're assuming you have a family HSA, by the way. And then that additional amount can go into the LLC. Because your Roth and HSA own that same LLC and they, whatever they started at, if they started at 50-50 or 80-20 or 70-30, whatever they started at, that's what you have to follow every year and how you get money in the LLC. So if you are that 50-50, you're going to have to put in 50-50 you know, if you're 70, 30, you know, let's say your Roth owns 70% and your HSA owns 30 and you want to put 10 grand in, your Roth's going to have to put in seven, your HSA is going to put in three. Okay. So you have to keep, put money in according to those ownership percentages when you set it. 
You know, and, 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 and that's the beauty. You can continue to fund the LLC if you want to put more gas in the tank, as long as you do it in a pro outer way. You got so much of unleaded, you got so much of diesel, you just got to follow the same percentages. <laughs> and put more, get more, I, put no, more. I think you're supposed to mix diesel and unleaded. I, well, you know, maybe biofuel too. I don't know. <laughs> some, just, it's an analogy. I was some trying. French fry oil, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm reaching. I'm reaching. Uh, <laughs> I like I like the analogy. We're just continuing the vehicle, the car, yeah, fuel yeah. in the tank. Mm. Great. Yeah. So you put more fuel in the tank, and uh, <laughs> maybe oh, maybe it's premium unleaded and just regular unleaded. There you go. See, that's kind of premium. That's like yeah. the plus or whatever uh-huh. like the middle is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so uh, you can refill the tank, but if you um, uh, don't want to, that's fine too. Keep putting money in your Roth and HSA and do other investments. You have that choice, but contributions have to be pro rata. So that's why it's a, it depends. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, everybody, thank you. This is so fun. I hope many of you are fascinated with the questions that other listeners come up with because it's yeah, how we got we some great questions, some stuff we've never had before, actually. Um, yeah. Some of the easier ones, some of these ones are a little bit easier too, but we appreciate everybody's uh, questions here. It helps other people learn about self-directing. So that's the other thing. If you have a good question, you're like, yeah, I got stuck on this about self-directing my retirement account. Or I wondered if I could do this. I was thinking about doing that. Throw it in there. Get over to directira.com slash podcast. Submit your question there. Like Mark said, we have our Main Street Business Podcast. We're covering tax, legal, wealth building, small business, all that stuff over there. We've got those topics there. You can drop questions in for that podcast as well. And you know, we're just here trying to give you the right answers. Because let's be honest, there's so much BS out there. You can Google and find the answer to anything that you want, but it may not be the right answer. You can get misled on TikTok. We're trying to give you the straight, honest answers to what you really can do in your tax, legal, wealth building, and self-directing. That's hey, what we're whoa, trying whoa. to do. I'm on TikTok. I got some good videos on TikTok. Not all TikTok. I <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> but are you dancing? <laughs> well, you know, I have a cat, you know, so oh. I want to create – got to have a cat in the in the video or else – Oh, You're not going to get the views, you know. Okay, is that the trick? You, yeah, you add a ball of yarn and a cat to any tax video, blows it up. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm going to try that. I'm on TikTok too. I'm going <laughs> to go after that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody. We'll see you next week. Please continue to tune in. Give us a five star rating if you enjoy the show. Share. Appreciate it.